You are listening to a special episode of In Love With The Process. I'm your host, Mike Petchy. You might actually be watching this one because uh, this is one of the few episodes that uh, we recorded video on over uh, Zoom. I think we use Zoom for this. Um, so I don't often do video recording, especially during the pandemic and all this stuff, because I feel like this is the image quality that you're getting from me right now. If you're watching it, uh, you'll see that uh, I'm not really lighting myself right now. I don't want to deal with any of that shit. I would love to just get to a point where we're doing this as a production, as a video production on a stage and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and hopefully as we push into, uh, the new year, as we get into the second half of this year, I call it the new year because it feels like we're all getting out of our COVID prisons right now. Um, then uh, maybe we'll start being able to film it. But today, luckily for you, you get to look at my ugly mug. By the way, check out my James Bond villain scar that I have going on right now, right? Pretty cool. Looks like I got into a knife fight, which uh, it's true. I did. It was on a battleship and me and Tommy Lee Jones went at it with hand knives for about 25 minutes. It's pretty epic. He was wearing a motorcycle jacket. I was wearing a chef's apron. It was cool. And I uh, walked away with this super cool scar. Now, actually, I'm just a fucking dumbass. And I forgot that we had the bike rack on the trunk of Gina's car, which I was driving around that day. And uh, I was hanging out with Brian Dunsmore, who is the chef that we've had on a prior episode of the show, I forget what episode number it is. Just go to inlovewiththeprocess.com and click on our chef section and check out Brian's episode. Brian is on that new Netflix series that just came out two days ago. Um, I think it's like High in the Hog or something like that. It's basically, you would think that Michael would do his research before he started to fucking roll, but I didn't. But Brian's on Netflix right now. <laughs> I'll be sure to put a link below the episode. And I think I'm going to advertise his older episode because we recorded his episode uh, after he had already done the production on the Netflix show. So he says a lot of relevant stuff uh, for those of you who are watching this new Netflix series that I can't remember the title of. Look at me. What a great host, right? But anyway, back to, back to it, Mike. Get back on the road. So this scar, I forgot that uh, we had uh, the bike rack in the back of Gina's trunk. And uh, I said bye to Brian. I was like, see you later, brother. And then closed the trunk in the bike rack. Just fucking destroyed me. And so now I've got this really cool maybe scar that runs across my face. It's a cool one. You know, being a fucking comic book nerd, it's like the one you want. Um, but for me, I look at it and I go, yeah, you dumbass, pay attention to what you're fucking doing. But anyway, <laughs> today's episode uh, is a team up. So it's two podcasts in one. Uh, the guys from Learn Videography, the guys over at Industry Jump have their podcast called Learn Videography. Uh, it's Kyle Loftus and JJ uh, Englert. The two of them and I get really deep into how to start, how to be successful as a videographer. Now, we hear these terms all the time, right? What is the difference between a cinematographer and a videographer and a director? Well, look, I'm not going to pass any judgments because there's oftentimes a lot of stigma that comes with these different titles, right? Uh, what, do you, what are you doing back there? Yeah, I literally see you crawling across the floor like a fucking psychopath. That's staying in the episode. I was trying to 
what are you what are you doing <laughs> um <laughs> it's like peewee's playhouse <laughs> uh, so what are the difference between being a cinematographer, a videographer, and a director? Well, like I said, there's a lot of bad stigma that goes around there. I don't judge anybody. I think that at the end of the day, there are great videographers. There are great wedding videographers. There are fantastic cinematographers. Uh, there are great uh, uh, guys and girls that just call themselves DPs. Um, look, here, here's what it comes down to. Videography is usually where you get started. It, and if I had to define videography, it's it's the type of job where your client isn't paying you enough money. So you're generally doing a bit of everything. You're directing, you're also running camera. Oftentimes you're running sound and running camera at the same time. Uh, being a videographer is a scrappy position. You're often uh, trying to make something that has a very small budget look like it has a larger budget and you're trying to make things work. That's how I started. I started as a videographer. I trained as a, a young, young buck. Uh, I got trained by a, uh, a videographer that did corporate videos when I was much younger. That's where I learned how to light for interviews. That's how I learned how to set things up for the edit, how to sort of interact with clients. Um, so there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and a lot of the stuff that you learn from being a videographer translates into becoming a producer, translates into becoming a director, and translates into becoming a bit of a cinematographer. What is the big difference between cinematography and my humble opinion? I'm sure that there's a bunch of cinematographers that have smacked me around for saying this, but in my humble opinion, the difference between the two is that cinematography is more based around two things. One, the creative vision, like how are you taking tone? How are you taking words on a page and adding atmosphere with it, right? What, what have you learned through the language of cinema that you're then going to use to create a story, a narrative story with it. Uh, that's one thing. That's like the cool romantic version of being a cinematographer. The second thing is, how are you going to be a crew leader? How are you going to be the head of a department? How are you going to interact with your producers? How are you going to manage a budget? How are you going to understand how to take a certain amount of money, a specific amount of money for an entire project, and translate that into the tools that are needed for you to do your stuff? So cinematography is a much bigger job but it's also a much more focused job, very specific gig. And like I said, videography is sort of a jack of all trades. Uh, you're, a, you're oftentimes you're your own editor, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's a great gig. So I know that there's a lot of like bullying that happens online where it's like, are you a videographer, you're a cinematographer, and people look down their noses at each other. It doesn't, it doesn't fucking matter. We're all making content at the end of the day and you're all learning, hopefully, learning the lessons that you need to progress and to follow the dream. Uh, and that's what this episode's about. We talk about a bunch of the pitfalls. We talk about how to protect yourself financially when you're uh, deciding to walk away from that full-time or part-time job and do this crazy world that is called freelancing. Uh, we also talk in detail about how to price out your work how to have the confidence to price out your work adequately, how to have the fuel to do so. Um, and then we also talk about as you progress and in the beginning, learn as much as you can, work for as many different departments as you can. But as you get to a point where you're like, I want to be shooting action movies. How do you get there? How do you pinpoint that stuff? Um, so this episode is for the filmmakers. 
Um, so you guys are all going to dig it. We get real fucking nerdy with it. The dudes over at Industry Jump uh, have been a big supporter of the show for a while. And uh, we decided that we should do a team up episode. If you're a listener from Industry Jump, you probably have already heard this before because they released it prior to me. But you don't get my sexy intro. You don't get to see my super cool fucking James Bond fucking scar. Uh, and then you'll hear all my custom ad reads and, and uh, we'll do an outro as well. And we got, I hate to say it, guys, but we got better music. Ah, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Without further ado, let's get into it. So turn up those noise canceling headphones. Uh, enjoy my mug on fucking YouTube today. Uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy a special episode. Team up between In Love With The Process and Learn Videography. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. We are on a crossover podcast with Mike Pesci of In Love With The Process and myself at JJ Englert and Kyle Loftus from the podcast Learn Videography. Kyle, Mike, how are we doing today, gentlemen? I'm doing good, guys. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm excited. Good. To be, Stoked to be yeah, here. Yeah, I'm excited to be talking shop with you two. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we've been following your podcast for a while. We love what you're doing over there. We love the vibes, the creativity, the innovation. Um, just talking about, you know, the world of filmmaking, the film industry itself, how filmmakers can get started and whatnot. Over at Learn Videography, Kyle and I would talk about everything about content creation, starting your own video business, everything you need to do to scale that video business. Uh, and really trying to help young creators kind of take that next step in their careers. Um, so we thought that during this podcast today, it would be great to have a discussion of the different career path, the career paths that one could take, whether it's a filmmaker going into the film industry or a content creator starting their own video business. Talk about the advantages, disadvantages of such, and kind of just riff from there. How's that sound? It's good. I think it's great that you guys are doing what it is that you're doing because uh, that's one of the reasons why I started my podcast is I, I, I would start to get these emails and these messages from younger filmmakers that were asking the simplest things like, how do you, how do you set up your business? How do you run your taxes? How do you, do, yep, you do stuff? That's us. That's good, man, because there's, there's not a lot of resources out there for that stuff. So I think it's smart. Yeah, we, we relate with that a lot. Wow. Um, <laughs> you know, even just like the insurance and the release forms and like, but then the gear you're going to buy and all that kind of stuff. It, it takes a lot to run a video business, you know, and it's usually just by yourself. So you have to find clients. You have to get them through the business. You have to make money from them. You have to then learn how to make videos that are actually good. And then you have to learn lighting and directing <laughs> and audio to make those videos. Mm -hmm. And then you got to do it all over a, a million more times. How did you guys get into why videos for you guys? How did you guys get into video stuff? Kyle, you want to take it first? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think speaking for myself, you know, video is just... Um, I've always been so drawn to stories and just the the potential of a story. You know, I think the the cool thing to me about filmmaking is just the boundless potential um, because, uh, you know, a story can have so much impact and, and influence. Um, I mean, you look at history. I mean, up until obviously we could start making textbooks and stuff. I mean, history was made through storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's how we shared our history and, and ancestors knew, we know about our ancestors, et cetera. So for me, I'm just, I'm really, really passionate about the idea and the, and the ways you can, different ways you can tell a story 
you know, through film. And for me, I think nothing against photography, but I think photography is, is a much more limited art form. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas filmmaking, you know, I mean, just there, there's so many different ways you can tell a story. I mean, just with the same footage, just by changing the music or mm-hmm. changing the order of the cuts mm-hmm. can completely alter the story you tell. And to me, I think that's just so compelling. Um, it's just, uh, it's really empowering um, and inspiring and fun for me, really. Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. Yeah. I uh, I was a senior in high school and I've always like had this thing of like creating things. I've always wanted to innovate, create new things, but I was, I didn't know engineering. I didn't actually know how to bring anything to life. I always was like, oh, I wish I could just do this, you know? <laughs> and then one day I was watching a movie called Seven Pounds and I felt like so many wow. real emotions, Great movie. you know? And I'm like, wouldn't it be cool if I could make other people feel these emotions? And then I made the <laughs> connection of, well, I could write stories on paper and bring them to life in video. Mm-hmm. And I can then take that idea and bring it to life. And I was like, I got addicted to it ever since. Uh, and that was really what spurred it for me. How about yourself, Mike? It's an interesting sort of journey for me. Uh, Those listening to the show have heard me say this a couple of times, but I wanted to be a comic book artist initially. And so I grew up, (laughs) I grew up as sort of an illiterate kid and my mom was concerned that I would never learn how to read. So she went out and picked me up a couple of comic books and tossed them in front of me and said, read these. (laughs) So when I was younger, I started uh, really understanding how to tell stories with panels and with um, storyboards, essentially, to comic books. And as I got older and my love of music and everything sort of uh, culminated into filmmaking. And the other thing I really liked about our industry was that it carries a lot from the blue collar industry, which is the the crew mentality, the working together, putting together teams. And there's a, a sense of romance to me around uh, a crew or a team of really creative individuals all coming together to do something intense yeah. and do something specific. I love that feeling. Yeah, it's fucking, it's, it's, it's a blast, man. It, it almost feels like the good, bad, and ugly. You know what I mean? Where everybody's like walking. <laughs> this guy's awesome at audio and this guy's really good at lighting, you know, and, and she's an amazing uh, director and they all sort of come in and play together. Um, yeah. And you, you get addicted to that. I remember yeah. the first few times I did those on like corporate jobs or smaller things and, just hanging out with the crew in between takes or hanging out with the crew as you, afterwards and going out and getting meals or drinks. And um, it's addictive, you know? Yeah. And I would say on the flip side of that, I mean, I, I love that, that big community team effort. Uh, but once you get going on more of those features and long form narrative, you start to find that, that, that that grip that's like oh no no don't look over here or you know like <laughs> grunchy guys yeah they're, they're, and and then it's like yeah you know maybe we could do without that guy over there but all the rest of us so you get that cool thing but then i would say that once you bring it down to like a, a four five six person crew you get that intimacy of like like just kind of creating with your friends that i really love too mm-hmm. i remember i did this a lot with jacob owens and tom taher in the beginning where we would doing like five, six, $7,000 music videos with like a crew of like four mm-hmm. or five. And we'd bang out the videos in like six or eight hours. And we just have a blast doing it. It was just like four or five guys. Just, you know, we had a DP, a first AC, a director, a producer, and then like a hair and makeup artist. That was it, yeah. you know? And, and I love that as well because there was so much less complications of 
you know, like having 50, 60 people on set uh, and this one person does this exact job or whatnot. And, and they, for me, I kind of gravitated to that smaller set of like, I, I really like this, you know, uh, Kyle, how about yourself? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm I'd kind of have to agree. I mean, speaking from from full honesty, I'm not I, I don't have a ton of experience with 30 man, 40 man crews or anything like that. Personally, I think um, the biggest set I've personally run myself was, I think, around 20, maybe 22. I've had a couple around that size, but predominantly around the same boat. I mean, I, I kind of like to keep the crew size somewhere between four to eight people. Anything over that, you know, it just kind of, as you mentioned, um, it's just kind of, it creates just a lot of extra dialogue that, you know, mm-hmm. might not necessarily need to happen. Um, and, and like you said about the smaller crew, I mean, I think one of the challenges maybe is that you're kind of swinging positions. Um, but at the same time, I think that's, again, one of like the cool aspects um, is so, you know, mm-hmm. oftentimes yeah. maybe I have, I have guys, you know, designated to a position. Um, but just because I brought them out and I'm hiring as my AC doesn't mean I'm not going to take you know, insight or advice or an idea he might have for a different way we could light this scene um, or a way we could just make it, Mm -hmm. you know, more interesting, more captivating. So that's one of the parts I love about that too, you know, that you don't get with a large crew size. You know, you're working with a 40 man crew and team. Everyone's got their distinct roles. Like no one steps on anyone else's toes. Like the grip guy ain't supposed to come over and tell the director, Hey, maybe you should try it this (laughs) way or, or something like that. Right. Like it just doesn't happen. Um, so that's, that's one of the aspects oh, that, you know, I think I really, I really like about having that smaller team sizes is, you know, everyone does have their distinct roles in the positions they sit in, but I think there's still that, that idea and that open dialogue that like, Hey, at the end of the end of the day, we're here to have fun. We're here to, you know, create something really cool. And the best way we can do that is, you know, to, to work together, um, and, yeah. and just to have fun with it. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think, I think I'm in the same boat there. What's up, guys? We're back at it with our season-long sponsor, AudioSocket. And Kyle and I are super excited because we put together four different playlists for you guys to dive into. We have a cinematic playlist, a suspense playlist, a Oscar-worthy score playlist, and finally, a trailer playlist. So within each of those playlists, you can find music and genres and moods that go with each of those categories and themes for you to use on your projects. Already royalty-free, licensed music ready for you to go. Um, and plans, I think they start as low as like, what, $8 a month, Kyle? Yeah, they have a plan for $8 a month for the, you know, the individual creator. And then, you know, I myself, I have the small business plan, which is about $42 a month. Um, You know, it covers me fully licensed music, whether I want to, you know, monetize on YouTube, if I want to use it for a commercial client and, you know, they want to blast it all over their different social media platforms as well as internally, etc. I'm good to go. I'm covered. Um, Just an absolutely incredible platform. And again, guys, we've already got you set up with four different playlists. Just go click on the link in our bio. um, Check out the landing page. We've got you set up. You're going to be ready to roll. This is a platform you do not want to miss out on. Go check out audiosocket.com. Link in bio. Do it. Let's get back to the episode. Let's roll. Talking about distinct roles. I mean, the, the roles that you have on a film set, aren't they just the weirdest things you've ever done in your life like i remember being on one feature where i was just a pa and my job was to follow the lead actor around when they went to the bathroom and just so i always had eyes on that actor so if anybody ever needed him i knew exactly where he was and i just follow him around all day that's my only job 
you know, and it's like, who gets paid to just follow and stalk somebody? <laughs> oh, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing, fellas, because I, I, I started the same way that you guys have started. So for me, when I started my own company and did all that stuff, we were doing like low budget music videos and we were doing branded content mm. and doing all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and the unfortunate part about that is that the budgets are very restrictive. So regardless mm-hmm. of whether or not I wanted it to be a 30 person crew, there's no, there's no effing way that they were going to. Sure. Yeah. So, <laughs> Unless you're spending the yeah, money. <laughs> exactly. So what you're doing, what I tried to do at that time period was, and I, I say this on the show consistently, you try to learn as much as you possibly can about everything. And so you learn, mm-hmm. uh, you know, following that, following that actor around and that job role that you're in, you actually get to yeah. learn if you're, if you're slick, you get to learn how people are convincing that actor to do what they need to do. So like there's, <laughs> there's so many different places that you can learn all these details because once you get into the position that I'm now in, which is the, the, the next step where I'm, I have two f- feature films in production right now. So what I try to do is take all that stuff that I learned from the early days. Like I now know, if I ask for some, for uh, HMIs outside that window that are on uh, large stands, I know how long it takes to put them out. I know how many guys right. are going to be out there to do it. So now, Which is so important. Yeah, because now as a director, I now know that if I'm unprepared and I'm like, hey, mm-hmm. can we just swap sides here? I know it's going to take like two and a half hours because mm-hmm. I've seen that. I've been there and I know that. I've smashed my hands on putting uh, you know, 5Ks into stands. Like I, I get that. And the same thing mm-hmm. runs down through like wardrobe and through makeup and all that. So I think that when you're starting out, it's really smart to have a team of people, like a small crew of people that you can fuck around with, that you guys can all trade positions and learn what you're doing. But yeah. uh, they're just hit a point with me where I want to tell larger stories. I want to mm-hmm. do bigger things. Um, and you end up hitting a creative ceiling when you're just doing everything on your own and sort of running around doing that. And I, yeah. I know you guys know that. And, and so then the move is, how do I take what I learned from all those years mm-hmm. doing what we do and mm-hmm. how do I communicate with my grips and stuff? And you made a comment that grips are not allowed to come and talk to you and give you advice. I've been on sets by major movie directors. I've been lucky enough to go watch them work Mm-hmm. And there are some guys, like I was on the Farley Brothers set, and their uh, relationship with their crew, their crew they've been working with for, I don't know, 10 movies, 11 movies, you know? Yeah. Their boom op would walk over to Peter and just be like, yeah, I didn't really dig that shot. And Peter would go, really? All right. And they talk about it. So, like, at the, <laughs> at the end of the day, nice. you can set the rules for your sets as, as mm-hmm. a leader. And, and what I think is most important uh, as we progress into these larger productions, that you take all that experience, you take that uh, empathy that you get from being the shithead that has to like follow the actor around all day or being the person yeah. that has to do these things. You understand yeah. that stuff. You also understand how important your job was because if eyes aren't on that actor, who knows what he's doing? And how many mm-hmm. mil- how many thousands of dollars are we wasting because no one can find him on that shoot? Yeah. So, like, if you're taking yeah. all that and then bringing that to this new set and walking in there, you're going to be respected by crews and teams because they're yeah. going to look at you and go, "All right, so this isn't some rich uh, nephew 
of the producer who just mm-hmm. got access to direct this fucking thing and he's only 19 years old you know what i mean they'll, they'll respect yeah. for that. yeah no yeah. i i think you're right on and i think a, a great next point would be like how do you make that step from being a content creator you know working on four to five person uh videos mm-hmm. to working on long form content you know like what is that progression of working your way up through the ranks to get there because Sure, you're learning a lot of those skills. You know, you know how to put up a light. You know how to maybe pull focus or whatnot. But once you get to those sets, you have a very designated role, and there's also a crew and a system around you that you need to learn as well. There's walking lingo, and there's just etiquette that comes that you just kind of need to know. So maybe let's talk through the steps of hey, you're this content creator. You have bigger visions of you know creating long form narrative, maybe getting something on Netflix, etc. What does that next step look like? Um, you know, and Maybe, uh, maybe let's start with Kyle, because I know, Kyle, you kind of have ambitions of, hey, you want to do it yourself almost, you know, and like, what are you thinking of? And then maybe talk to Kyle, uh, bring back the mic of hearing like what he would do or something like that. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think me, myself, I'm, I'm in an interesting space and I think the, the world and, and the internet is, is an interesting space, um, right now, you know, before, um, when I originally thought of, you know, the idea of pursuing a career in film, um, and filmmaking, you know, back in the beginning of college for me, you know, I always thought that as soon as I finished college, I got to move out to LA. I'm going to, you know, find a low ranking position. I'm going to work my way up the ladder. And then I got exposed to this whole world of, of social media and YouTube and yeah. all these other Content outlets and, and forms of, yeah, of, of making money to, to create content and, and do what I love. And so it's, it's, I, I found myself in, in a weird position because I love so much the, the freedom that this position provides me. You know, I think one of the things that, that I guess hesitates me or why I'm, I'm very patient with the process of, of getting to directing feature films is, you know, I, I enjoy the fact that I get to work with new clients every other week or every, mm-hmm. you know, two to three weeks that I'm not sitting on the same project for eight months. I, mm-hmm. I work on a project for a month, turn it over and it's on to the next one. So mm-hmm. I, I like that, that I continue to see that 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 versatility and variety. Um, and again, as you mentioned, Mike, you know, I think with that, I, I'm constantly not just learning so much about filmmaking, but so much about just other businesses, other cultures. Yeah. Um, getting to work with with people of different nationalities, um, people in different um, industries. You know, I get to learn and, and get new insight on other things, other areas I might want to invest in or pursue down the line. Um, but for me, you know, I think what I'm really trying to do is is a lot of what we talk about, JJ. You know, I'm I'm trying to create content that sells uh, a higher production value and I guess a bigger and better image than what might I have shot it at. So. Um, you mm-hmm. know, when I'm getting $5,000 productions, I'm trying to make them look like 15,000, 20,000. And, and for me, mm-hmm. I think right now I'm continuing to try and scale at that point. Um, but I am kind of, as you mentioned, Mike, I'm kind of at the point where those, those smaller crew sizes and everything have kind of met, met my limitation and I, I can no longer create the kind of stories and the videos that I want to. So I'm kind of at this point, um, slowly kind of positioning myself to that distinct, um, and this is where I'm struggling as well as, uh, I, I say director DP role. I know I need to, mm. to flush that out eventually in my career, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but, but as of now I'm, I'm a director and a DP. And so I'm, 
I'm really trying to, to narrow in on that and really trying to diversify and allocate every other task that I can mm-hmm. um, slowly and progressively, obviously find the right people for it. But so that way I can really focus on that. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully, you know, continue to pump out content and I'm obviously putting more of a focus on creating narrative work. And ideally, mm-hmm. you know, that'll kind of eventually get me noticed, hopefully by the ASC and such, but mm-hmm. you know, we'll, We'll see. Um, yeah. That's kind of that's the plan for now. Um, but obviously, down the road, I'll be moving to LA. JJ, I see you. Yeah, I see you got something to say. Hop in there. My well, man. Kyle, like, wh- where do you see yourself in five to ten years? Do you see yourself running a video business still, which is gr- very successful and it's fantastic, or do you see yourself, you know, wanting to work towards that narrative film? Uh, I guess would be my question to you. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely towards the narrative film. I okay. do love having a video business. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, my, my heart is really in, in the art of, of storytelling and, okay. and narrative work, be that documentary as well as, um, you know, fictional work and such. But, you know, for oh. me, I think, yeah, that's, that's really where I want to be. So, you know, five years, I could still kind of be in this area cause I'm, yeah. I'm in that middle market between Miami and Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got a lot of opportunities that can pull me in both those directions. So we'll see how these markets play out over the next five years. But I know at some point I'm going to be out in LA. Um, I, I love the weather out there. I love the vibes out there. And as of now, that's that's where the heart of the industry is. Um, so, yeah. I, so I, you know, within 10 years, if I'm not living out there, um, I'm commuting there a hell of a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and and Mike, maybe we can use Kyle as like our, our catalyst or our, our test subject in this conversation of what should the next steps that Kyle take? Like, what should those be? Because I think our listeners are in similar to Kyle where they're running successful video businesses, yep. but they do just have those bigger aspirations of, Hey, maybe one day I want to direct a big film. Like how do we take that next step? Well, I mean, I would ask this question. I, I would, you have to be honest with yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's this, there's this judgment that happens through our business where people are like, what do you do? Are you, mm-hmm. everybody wants to be a director. Everybody wants to work in feature films. Mm-hmm. Um, but then people often look down on like, what are you, a wedding videographer? Or you're a wedding video. Right, like, right. What do you, you right. make uh, commercials? You're a commercial director. You're a music video director. At the end of the day, you just got to remember- you a that, YouTuber, not a filmmaker? Exactly. Yeah. But, but the thing mm-hmm. is this, there's great careers in all those paths. Mm-hmm. I know dudes that do YouTube 100%. stuff, that do amazing YouTube stuff. And it's a, it's a fucking mm-hmm. banging career. And so Mm -hmm. you have to ask yourself a serious question. You have to ask yourself, what is it that I, that I cannot, if I, if I'm going to die tomorrow, Mm -hmm. what is it that I'm going to regret that I didn't do? Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's the serious question. Is it directing? Is it making a movie? Is it, is there a story in you that you wanted? Is it uh, having a solid business? Is it doing music videos for larger acts? Like, what is that question? Now, I'm in the same boat. I was in the same boat you were. So when I started, I had to become a cinematographer out of necessity because I couldn't afford mm-hmm. cinematographers when I was younger and I had to learn how to do it. And cinematography mm-hmm. is very much like a technical craft where you're learning mm-hmm. about how cameras work and all that. Uh, but I wanted to be a director. I always wanted to be a director. Then I had to start up a company because I had to make money. So then I started up a company that was a content creation thing because I figured, hey, I can learn how to do this stuff at the same time and get paid for it. Great deal. Mm-hmm. I fast forward years later to when I almost died and I was on my deathbed and I had to think about it. 
to to me sitting there going, I'm wasting my fucking time running this business. I'm spending Mm -hmm. so much time running this business and doing commercials and doing all this stuff that I don't have any time to sit down and write a script or or, uh, shoot a proof of concept. And then I realized that I was hiding. So I was hiding in music videos. In the beginning, I wasn't. In the beginning, I learned how to do all my shit. I learned how to do that stuff. But then, you know, five, six years in, when the videos really aren't progressing and the stuff's kind of the same, mm-hmm. I realized that I was hiding from, from mm-hmm. my filmmaking stuff. And so if you decide, Kyle, what it is that you want to do, I was told early on that, in, at least in the commercial world, I had to choose. I had to choose mm-hmm. either to be a DP or to be a director because they had to market me mm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. I hate that. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, but it's a decision. It's, it's marketing. And, yeah, and right. that being said, when I gave up my DP responsibilities and I hired my now DP that I use consistently, um, my world blew up because I still was able to turn to a DP that I could collaborate with and go, this is the lighting I like, this is the shots I like, this is the stuff I like. And then that DP mm-hmm. was bringing stuff to the table that I had never done before. And he's like, I've done mm-hmm. stuff with this crane and this stuff, and this stuff's really interesting. You're like, oh, fuck yeah. Okay, great. I'm learning something from you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I realized that coming from such a technical world, which I know both of our listeners are, people that are signing mm-hmm. into YouTube, how do I color grade? What are the fucking mm-hmm. correct camera settings? What are the codex settings? I realized that I didn't know shit about directing for real. Mm-hmm. And I like real storytelling, like n- just not even how do you work with actors? Mm-hmm. And because of our mindsets, our mindsets are very much like if I dial this in, if I do an, a bit of an overexposure, it's all dial in stuff. And now you're trying to take that mindset and go into people and trying to mm-hmm. dial in emotion and trying to dial in performance. And my brain couldn't do them both. There, there hit a point where I'd be on a set. And I'd get a question from a gaffer, like, what angle of light do you want this thing to be at? And you're like, yes. At the same time, I'm talking to an actress who is like, mm-hmm. I can't find it. I can't find this mm-hmm. thing. And you're realizing that your brain is being stretched in two different directions. So when I finally got to a point when I went, I, I want to direct, that's what I want to do. And I was able to focus everything on that. So I was able to pinpoint all my energies into directing. So I did proof of concepts. I made really good pieces. Those pieces went on to get me interested. Those pieces got me signed by UTA, got me management. Uh, those pieces got me one of my films produced by uh, Tony, uh, really Scott's company. So 12KM is being produced by Scott Free. Congrats, Be- man. Well, thanks, man. So sick. But I, I'm not saying that to, 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 to inflate what I'm doing. I'm just saying- Proof of concept. Proof of concept <laughs> that I made at home when I completely gave in to directing and made it really fucking good, got me all these steps. So then what happened was, and I think what all the listeners need to take away from this is, once you make a decision, once you get off your ass and go, this is what I fucking want to do, and you focus on that, everything tunnels towards it. And if that's Mm -hmm. where you're focusing all your energy and you're not like, I'm trying to do accounting on this business for this thing, and I'm trying not to shoot this thing and do this thing, like, in the beginning, it's great because you're learning a hundred different things. But when you hit that point where you go, I need more, I want more, you have to just pinpoint it because the business mm-hmm. is built for specific titles. And so if, yeah. if you pinpoint, you're, you're going to fucking kill it, man. 
Okay, let's continue here. We'll do the ad reads. All right. Now you get to see my face when I do these ad reads, and you get to see how they're all off the cuff. You get to see it in real life, that these rants are real. I don't write these rants down. They just come right out of this brain and this mouth, this weapon <laughs> that I barely know how to use. Uh, first up, our good friends, my good pals over at Puget Systems. If you're in the marketplace as a videographer, if you're in the marketplace right now for a new computer, and I know a lot of you are because I get emails and messages from you guys all the time. What kind of computers are you running? What are you doing? We're gear nerds. A lot of us are all gear nerds. There's a lot of gear nerds out there. There's a lot of people that are convinced in order to be a professional, you have to buy the top of the line products. You have to go out there and spend that money on those rigs. I counter that argument by saying, how much money do you make? How much money do you make a month? How much money do you make a year? How many jobs do you get a year? On average, how many times does that client actually pay rental on the gear you have? How many times are you throwing in gear or even, I hate to say it, the edit in for free so that you can get a gig? A, don't do that, but B, that's the reality of the world for a lot of people. So why the hell would you be in thousands of dollars of credit card debt by buying the top of the line equipment? And half the time when you buy this equipment, which is just brand, it's brand love, that's all it is. You're paying for their advertising fees, you're paying for their promotional fees, you're paying for their fucking unboxing experience. I don't care how sexy the box is when I open it. That box does not make my edit go easier. That box, I can't charge the client for how cool your box is. That fucking box is going to get tossed in the trash, right? So why are you spending thousands of dollars extra on that experience? Do yourself a favor. If you're looking to buy a new edit machine, think about buying a PC. I know I said it, a PC, oh my God, don't PCs crash and shit? This isn't the early 2000s. Not even the early 2000s, this is in the late 90s. It isn't blue screen of death time anymore, guys. And for the younger generation that doesn't know what I'm talking about, great, I'm not even gonna explain it to you. Um, but PCs are the way to go. They were the way to go for me because I wanted a computer. I wanted a machine that was going to do what I told it to do. I didn't wanna become beholden to a specific type of machine. I didn't want to have only three selections on a website and then only be able to choose between specific hardware. Because if you're doing this job correctly, you're breaking rules all the time. The person that comes before us, that filmmaker that came before us, that videographer that came before us, did the same thing. That's why you had all sorts of weird chemical processes that happened with film development, right? Because people were breaking the rules. People were pushing film stock. What's it like if I overexpose this film stock? What's it like if I push it in a chemical process? Wow, that's a crazy look. That's an interesting vibe. If you read the, the, if there was an instruction manual that came with developing that film, it would tell you to specifically do it a certain way. And everybody that follows an instruction manual, everybody that buys the same equipment, they make the same looking work. Have you seen this when you look online and you're checking out photographs and you're checking out uh, like uh, Vimeo? right? It's like, cool, there's an underexposed shot. Uh, there's an underexposed silhouette uh, on a sunset horizon. Um, you know, I feel like that's what Zack Snyder did right before he shot the new fucking zombie movie that he did. He just went on Vimeo and was like, that's cool. That's cool. I'll do that shit. 
everybody that buys that equipment, all that expensive gear that we're all drooling over in between our shots of cheeseburgers on fucking Instagram, the guy next to you, the woman next to you is buying that same gear and they're getting it out of the same sexy box and following the same set of instructions and their shit all looks the fucking same. I refuse to do that. Maybe it's from my car uh, roots as a kid, building hot rods and like understanding that you can get under the hood and you can tweak things to, to work the way you need them to work. That's what I wanted from a computer. So I decided I was gonna do a PC. I jumped from the Apple ship, got out of debt with those guys. And I was like, look, I'm gonna do a PC, but I don't wanna build it on my own. I've done it in the past as a kid. I know that I used to be a little land kid and I would build gaming systems but I know what comes with it. You're ordering all these different parts online. How do I know for sure if this is the right RAM to work with this motherboard? How do I know for sure if this is the correct graphics card to work for what I need for codecs and video codecs, right? It's kind of a, it's kind of a fucking pain in the ass. It's like a hodgepodge thing to do. So don't worry, I did the hard work for everybody. I found this company called Puget Systems. Puget Systems is a family owned company that puts together machines they build computers for you based upon the software you use. And these guys got heavy into video editing. In the past, what is it, like five years or six years? They've gotten deep in it. These guys benchmark test all the new hardware that comes out. And surprise, surprise, that newest fucking graphics card that you get that, because uh, you, you've signed up for their newsletter and they send you this sweet graphics card it does amazing with video games and really great with like VR technology, but it doesn't do shit for you with Premiere. So you don't have to spend thousands of dollars on that card. You can actually go two or three generations prior to that and it works perfectly, oftentimes better than the new one does. Great, right? Go to PugetSystems.com. These guys post all their benchmark tests. They have created a community for people that want to jump ship and build PCs and work in that marketplace and they also build computers. So there you can talk to them and build a custom PC that works for you. I'm telling you right now, click the link below our episode, go to PugetSystems.com, tell them that Mike sent you, and build a computer that is gonna change the way you do your work. Also supporting the show, as always, are my good buddies over at Quasar Science. I talk about it on the show consistently. I love lighting. I'm in love with lighting. To me, Seeing something well lit is seeing a plate of food that I want to eat. I get the same sort of salivating excitement from a well-lit set as I do from an amazing looking steak on a plate, right? Uh, and Quasar creates LED light tubes. These, this technology, LED technology has changed our industry. It changes how much it costs for you to light stuff. Prior to this, if I wanted to do some of these big light setups, I would have needed a generator. I would have needed multiple large light sources with pretty intense power sources. And that also means that I would need a larger crew. I would need a crew of at least three, if not four dudes, electrics, key grips, guys that can lift these heavy units and put them on these heavy, tri on, uh, heavy light stands and then fucking raise them up, right? You guys ever try to throw up like a 20K? Even an 1800. You still need two sets of hands on that. And those lights produce amazing stuff. But when you're talking on the videography level, which I know all you guys are, you're looking for lights that are lightweight, have a very small footprint, something you could put in the backseat of your hatchback, right? 
because the biggest bag that you're going to have back there is whatever you spent like a jerk spent on a large camera that you shouldn't own you should rent by the way so uh, a lot of folks are like look i need to put together a light kit what should i do i highly suggest you get yourself some led tubes they're very useful very useful for lighting interviews very useful for lighting backgrounds very useful for just wanding like a fucking lightsaber over an actor's face and deciding what level what angle works best for that character i use them all the time and if you're going to get an led light don't go on fucking ebay and buy your led units from china because they're going to shit out on you the hardware sucks in them and oftentimes they're not color balanced for camera so you can never rely on them one may be shifting to green one may be shifting to magenta and then your color correction process is a nightmare get well balanced led tubes get professional tubes something that you can drop that'll fall off your c stand and it'll bounce off the floor and it'll still work go to quasarscience.com and check out everything that i'm ranting about right now uh also supporting our show uh let's see who should it, who else should, should get a read today uh loop deck let me go read on loop deck have you guys been to loopdeck.com it's l-o-u-p-e deck.com these guys make control panels so control panels that interface with your adobe products so it'll interface with uh lightroom it'll interface with photoshop it'll interface with premiere and you can actually program dials to do a lot of that click work so like if you're trying to adjust your brightness, your contrast, if you're trying to uh, assign different values that most times you have to go through like multiple clicks and window clicks and selections and menu clicks and get down to that thing. You can program all this stuff onto a loop deck board. And what does this do? The theory is that this makes your workflow faster, especially if you're doing long edits. And a lot of you guys and girls out there are editing the work that you're shooting. And you know how long that takes. Ask yourself this, are you charging an adequate amount of money for that? I'm talking to a friend of mine right now who just took on a massive job and halfway through it, he's like, this should have been $13,000. I'm like, yep, it should have. Why didn't you not charge enough for that? Oh, it's the fear that I'm not gonna get it. It's the fear that I'm not gonna be uh, worth it. Get over that fear, okay? Charge enough money for your post-production. So that way when you're sitting there, and you're on hour fucking 402 and you've been doing this forever and the clients keep coming back with multiple revisions because you didn't put together the correct contract right and then it takes them like three weeks to give you notes on something and you're waiting to get paid be smart about it put together a good contract charge enough money for it and give yourself some wiggle room and those of you who are spending all that time you know when you're editing your wrists are getting sore. Uh, you are tired of doing ridiculous menu options. Like, okay, Photoshop, why the fuck doesn't flatten lay all layers have a keyboard shortcut? I don't, I don't understand. Why is it that I always have to click up on the menu and find it? And when you're rendering out enough photographs, you guys don't know what I'm talking about. It's annoying. I'd rather have all that stuff set on an external control panel. So go check them out. Head on over to Loop Deck. I will put the link below the episode and see if one of their panels will work for you. That's it. Last of the reads. Thank you all 
for listening to the show. Let's get right back into it. But before I do, don't forget to go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There you can pick episodes to listen to from our past uh, based upon subject material and do it now. I'm toying with the idea as we progress into the future that I'm going to take offline all of the older episodes and charge for them. So now's the time to listen. If you're a listener of the show, go back through, listen to all the prior catalogs, because I think coming in the new year, the season that I'm in will be for free, but then the older episodes you will have to be paying for. So go to inlovewiththeprocess.com and catch up. That's it. Let's get back to the episode. Yeah, I had a, a different kind of upbringing. I started in the narrative film world and I started as a first AD or second AD, worked my way up to a first AD. And I, I must have done it. Um, sorry. Um, the mailman's here, of course. Um, I must have done at least like 10 different projects um, as that, that AD uh, in one capacity or another. And that was very much one world, right? And then I went to film school and I met a whole new group of people and I started making short form content, music videos, commercials. And that was a whole different world. Yep. And so I had these two worlds that I was doing at the same time. I would go off for two months and do a feature film. And then right after that, I'd hop on and produce a commercial. You know, and so I was able to navigate between both worlds, but they were very much separate paths, Yeah, you know, and I needed to kind of be all in on both paths at the same time to really advance myself. And inherently, I was diluting myself because you can only do so much and you, you only have so much time. And I would say that while I was exploring both paths and I was doing pretty well, I think I was also stunting myself in each path because of such, you know, so uh, Kyle, you know, you're, you're just dedicated as that sole, you know, videographer, uh, content creator, Mike, you're more of that long form director. I did the both path kind of thing. So we kind of represented all kind of directions here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say that I love being able to bounce from a feature film to a music video. You know, I loved being able to be on a project for two months and then just go and do like four videos really quickly. Like to Kyle's point, you, you kind of changing it up there. Uh, but then I also really loved going back to that feature film to work with those larger film uh, crews and making bigger stories and whatnot. Um, but 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 to, it's not sustainable. To interrupt you, um, no. the the misconception is that just because you decide that you're going to do feature films that you can't do anything else, the truth behind feature films is that it takes about eight years for a feature film to get going. So you spent what are you doing in the meantime? Exactly, yeah. you spent <laughs> fucking eight years of your time whether you're writing scripts or you're developing stuff or you're trying to convince people to give you money, like it's, right. it's like eight years. And so yeah. in the interim, because of those skills that, that we all have, the skills that I learned, mm-hmm. I'm able to jump on something real quick and go, I'm going to do this barbecue video for this knife company. That's only going to take me two weeks. Yeah. And that's fun. And I'll go do that for fun. But that, and that's important too, yeah. because you're keeping your skills going and learning in the meantime. Exactly. And then, or like, I'll only do music videos now for friends. So like if, if mm-hmm. there's an artist that I really love, because I know I'm not going to make any money. <laughs> so yeah. If there's an artist <laughs> that I really love that I want to hang out with and drink beers with for a few days, then I'll go, yeah, yeah, I'll go do a video for you. But once I just gave up the whole, I need to do these things for my job. And they became more like extracurricular activities. 
Those jobs become more fun. I'm totally okay saying no to those gigs. Mm -hmm. And then what you're doing, which I think a lot of younger guys, this is a whole other topic, but a lot of younger guys don't wrap their heads around is how to say no. And yeah, yeah. I'm not quite at that point. I learned early on that I, it's better for me to say no to more jobs and take three jobs a year that pay my salary instead of mm-hmm. taking 40 jobs a year that will pay my salary, but they're low budget jobs and the clients are a nightmare. So mm-hmm. if you can try to convince yourself that I am worth enough, charge enough for what you're worth and only do three to four jobs a year, especially if you want to try to get into feature film directing, that opens up months of development time, months of research time, because you're not doing the the bullshit $1,000 gig that the client wants to treat it like a $25,000 gig and you're pulling your hair out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really resonate with that. I think I think one of the key things to to think about too, uh, especially for like a lot of our, our listeners here is um, I think a lot of people just struggle with fear of the unknown. Yeah. And, uh, and I think one of the things too is, is it, it's funny. We, we all um, at least early on in the career, I, I like to think we all, you know, think we have a lot of potential and we want people to bet on us and, and give us that, you know, $4,000, you know, paycheck to do a video, but we're not really willing to, bet on ourselves, you know, like even though we want to be the music video director or something, we're still doing wedding videos and commercials and graphic design on the side and all these other things to get paid when really they're not aiding us in the direction of where we want to go. So kind of like we were alluding to earlier, like my career, I think the big step I took for myself last year at the the beginning of last year was I I started eliminating all the other things um, that weren't related to what I'm trying to do and niching even further this year is, is really I'm focused on con- on narrative based content. So essentially if the music video or the commercial doesn't have a story, then it's not really aiding me towards, towards what I want to do. And so I'm not taking the job. Um, and so I think that's just like another point I just wanted to kind of bring in there and make is I think yeah. oftentimes, you know, creators, they're just, they're, they're too scared to really invest in that one area. And although you might suffer costs, you know, you might not make as much every month when you first start out, but at the end of the day, eventually you're going to get there, but you have to kind of be willing, you know, to take that first step. Otherwise, again, you're just going to be getting pulled in so many different directions. Yeah. Like what I'm, I'm hearing is you, you can do both, but it's super important for you to have one thing that is really important that that's, going to trump everything else. And that's your direction. That's where you spend everything on. But in the meantime, while you're also pursuing that, pursue what other, you know, make other videos, hop on videos with your friend, keep those skills alive, keep working at it, but really make sure that you have that direction of where you want to go and continue that direction so you can get there. As long as in that video that the project aids it, right? Yeah. Like doing doing um stop motion animation. That or me learning, you know, spending two weeks learning, like I would love to learn how to do video effects, mm-hmm. how to make a guy look like he's on fire when he's not on fire. But why would I invest all that time when I know down the road in my future, I'm not, I don't want to be a video effects artist. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to be that guy. I want to mm-hmm. be the guy that says, Hey, I want him to look like he's on fire. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, cool. I, I, and that just brings up, <laughs> that brings up the point. Like I agree, do all these things as long as it's not taking away, as long as you're not using those things to hide from the thing that is scary. 
which is, yeah. which, is which is yeah. your bigger dream. And if you're if you're not using all these distractions as as a excuse not to do it, then fine. And the, and the other thing that we should mention because I think we should get very specific on this. I know a lot of people listening to this are constantly worried about rent and constantly worried mm-hmm. about making money. And this is a real thing. Which is a real <laughs> thing. And and a lot of folks aren't used to being freelancers. I remember the first time I got a freelance gig and I got paid, I was like, fuck yeah. And I go out and I just bought, like I bought all the shit that I needed and then I was broke again. And I learned a really early lesson. And if you can figure out a way to do your jobs in such a way and be smart and thrifty about how you buy your shit and you have at least five months of rent in the bank in front of you at all times, it changes how you negotiate your rates. It changes mm-hmm. how you decide whether or not to take a job or not because you're never dealing with that stress. Mm-hmm. And that changes yeah. your entire career path. If you're smart about your cash and understand that if you're going to get into this business, you're going to get into freelance, you're giving up a lot of stuff that your buddies that work for like a startup company are out there buying like a sweet new car or going on four or five vacations a year. You can't afford that stuff when you first start. And yeah. you, you just have to be realistic and smart about your, about your finances, you know? Yeah, I think a, a good point to that too, Mike, is is really like not just in the entrepreneurial sense, but I think in, in the craft sense of of you know, I guess if we can speak more niche down to a filmmaker, is just um coming to terms with the lifestyle. Like if if the lifestyle's really for you. Yeah. I yeah. think that's you know, that's one of the been been one of the bigger things I've really had to sit and think about for myself um, in regards to to being a director. You know, I, I know I want to do longer form narrative, but is that episodial or is it, you know, feature films? Because, mm-hmm. um, again, I think for me is um, I love to travel, but man, you know, eight months away yeah. from home uh, yeah. working on a project. It's 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 a long time. And especially, you know, if if you're someone who has ambitions of having a family in the next couple yeah. of years. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be really, really hard to do, you know, so you got to you got to really sit and, and think about like, does this align again? Does this align with what I want personally for myself and my future? And am I willing to to do what it takes? Am I willing to live the lifestyle of a yeah. filmmaker of not being able to take, you know, the four vacations uh, every year to not go hang out and get drinks with your buddies every weekend, uh, you know, to to be stuck working from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. sometimes because you just got to keep cranking out that script or book the location, et cetera, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I've made that choice personally. You know, I'm, I'm a PJ line producer. I was on track to go into Atlanta for eight months to do a film, you know, like that's a, a real reality. And I didn't want to do it. Like I, I want to make films. I want to be a part of this, but I also want to have a family and I want to have a healthy work-life balance. And I want to enjoy, you know, just living and taking vacations. And that doesn't mean I don't want to be a filmmaker. I love making films. But I, I wanted more of a balance for myself personally and more of that family side. And so that's why I started to shy away from long form narrative work and more of just my own production company producing commercial music videos, short form content that's just like two, three days, bang it out, a couple of videos a month, I'm good. And then the rest of the time I could be with family. So to your point, Kyle, that's, that's, that's huge. That's kind of where you need to start is, you know, one, what do you want to do? What are your ambitions? And then two, where do you want to go? Like, what kind of life do you want to have? You know, working on these shows for a long period of time, people love it. A lot of people love that. Like, that is life for a lot of people. 
And then a lot of other people are like, no, I don't want to do that. So you need yeah. to figure out what path that is that you want. And it's okay if it changes. For me, early on, my path was that I just want to be on this show for eight months, nine months, bring me to Hawaii, wherever we're going to shoot this, because I didn't have a family at the time. You know, I was just all in filmmaking, creating. And then I met my girlfriend I met, and then she turned into my fiance and then my wife. And then we had a baby and every single step, it became less about going to Atlanta, Florida, whatever to be on that film to just being more at home with my family. And, and that's kind of what swayed my career. And that was the direction that I wanted, you know, and now I'm pretty much all virtual and remote. So I can be with them all the time, but still in the film industry, kind of doing everything that I want to do. So need to know where you're going and where you want to go so you can position yourself to be in that spot in the future. It's a very, I think we're tackling really important stuff here, fellas. Like there, the, the, you have to be honest with yourself and you know what? Your goals change, right? I'm sure your goals changed after you 100%. met your girlfriend <laughs> and then your goals changed yeah. after you guys got married. That's a, that's a yeah. deal. Um, for me, it's a, I've been so, I've been so hyper-focused on my goals I've been doing this shit for 20 years. So I've been so hyper-focused on my goals that I, I've given up everything. So I'm not married. Mm -hmm. I don't have any kids. I've got a great girlfriend who works in the industry. So that works well. But mm -hmm. um, I really was putting the, the passion first, almost mm -hmm. to the detriment of my life, where mm -hmm. you sort of hit a point where you go, um, I'm not really thinking about anything else. And mm -hmm. I just did, dude, seriously, I, I just did an episode yeah. today. Uh, we released an episode today um, on insomnia because I had the worst insomnia based upon this job because this job is loaded with so much stress, loaded with so much anxiety, loaded with so mm -hmm. many creative decisions. And I just assumed that it was part of the gig. Like, hey, I'm just not going to get sleep. And if I'm not getting sleep, this is how fucking twisted I was. If I'm not getting mm -hmm. sleep, that means I'm working harder. That means I'm, I'm actually mm -hmm. doing it right. And two and a half months ago, it all caught up to me where I was only sleeping in my head. I was only sleeping for two days a week. And uh, mm -hmm. I had to like step out of the business and really do the research and fix my sleep because it was affecting everything. It was yeah. affecting my health. Yeah, it's critical. It's insane, dude. So like this business, because it's so competitive, because everybody wants it, and there's only a certain amount of fucking jobs, um, mm -hmm. we just have to throttle it. And the people that seem to be the most successful in it, unfortunately, are the people that are either stepping over everybody and sort of pushing their way ahead and, and getting there because you have to claw your way in to become a feature film director, you have to you claw have to your way in to do that. Yeah. Um, and yeah. for a lot of folks, you just start to see the detriment of it where you're like, uh, why am I doing this? Because the, the reward yeah. isn't making the film. And this is something else I learned. Um, the reward isn't doing the movie. The reward mm -hmm. should be the life. Like every step mm -hmm. involved with making that movie, because mm -hmm. I'm only on set 5% of my year, <laughs> mm -hmm. if I'm lucky, <laughs> you know, so then the, rest, yeah. the rest of yeah. the time, what am I, what am I fucking miserable? Because yeah. I'm not on set and I'm not directing people, you know? So yeah. it's, it's, I'm not trying to say that it's like saving lives. It's not like being a firefighter. It's, it's, it's nothing like that, but mm -hmm. mentally 
deciding to get into this business and follow this path is incredibly destructive. It ruins relationships. There's a reason why a lot of folks that work in this business, whether you're in the crew side of it or you're actors, they're all divorced because it's hard to hold on to people and keep them in this on this track because you have to be so like centrally focused, you know? Yeah. It's really difficult, you know, and uh, I come from upstate New York, you know, and so um, I'm 30 years old. Most of my friends in upstate New York have families, you know, maybe even two kids by now. Yeah. All of my friends in LA, none of them have families. And and most of my friends in LA, they're all film makers, you know, none of them, they're not there yet in life. And that's okay. I'm just, I'm only saying this to show the contrast of, you know, most of my friends in LA are are the real dedicated filmmakers working at Warner Brothers or whatever, just short form content, but they're really focused on their careers and man making films. And uh, my friends in Rochester, you know, they're just focused on, you know, having their careers and being with their families and it's two different things. And so to your point, Mike, yeah, I think there is a little bit of a sacrifice you're making with your family and friends to really pursue that dream of becoming a filmmaker. Uh, and to live that life because, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of work that needs to go into it. And there's a lot of doors that you need to force open and claw your way through and a lot of contacts you need to make to make it happen because it is so hard to do. But I will also say quickly on the flip side that this can also happen at that lower level. I know music video directors that they were around in the, the hit of the MTV days. They've worked with every single artist you can think of. And they're still doing the same exact thing today, making five, $10,000 videos just to make a buck because they never set themselves up back then to be where they want to be today. Yep. You know, so whether you are chasing that long form narrative or that short form narrative, you can get stuck in the moment in both paths. And it's really important for you to know that this is a moment in life and you need to plan for that next moment. And that next moment needs to be where you want to go, you know? But you're also, I think we also, I think this is a good part of the show to, because I know a lot of listeners are like, okay, so I got it. <laughs> I got to yeah. change my life. I got to do so, shit. Like, I, I, got, I got it. So now what is the path? Like, what is the path and, and, and what is the correct way to do this? And the most frustrating thing about this business is that there isn't a path. Right. Like, there, there is no. <laughs> Look at how many, how many film schools there are, yeah. putting how many film students out each year. <laughs> And none of them are, you know, like 1% of them makes it there. So that yeah. is the path and that path doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> no, dude, there, there, there just isn't. And the thing that I find interesting about doing the podcast is that I get to meet all these folks and I get to hear their, not necessarily their path, but their aha moment. Because I think what we have to do as creators is we have to prepare, right? So we get mm-hmm. our skills right. We know how to compose shots. We know how to edit. We know how to do that stuff. That's expected. That's like knowing how to breathe and walk, right? So you're mm-hmm. spending your first five years of your career just sort of stacking those skills. Like I can competently pull off what I say that I can pull off. And then, <laughs> so then you get that in your, in, your, in your Rolodex, right? So then you're trying to uh, meet connections. You're trying to get these folks around you. You're trying to get as many people that could potentially hit it that you're attached to. So you're and you're not doing it that cynically. You're trying to find friends that you're, you're connecting with. So mm-hmm. then, then that's happening. And then you're getting clients, right? You, so you're like eight years in and suddenly people are calling you on the phone going, that video you made on YouTube, can you do that as a commercial? 
And so hmm. now you're trying to take this sort of friend hangout theory workshop and turn it into a business strategy that you can then like uh, statistically produce content for clients over and over again, which is its own little learning curve, right? Yeah. But what a lot of people don't realize is that you also need to make yourself aware for the moment that circles every one of us. There's at some point, multiple times sometimes in your life, there is an opportunity that comes around you. And that opportunity circles you. And if you're smart enough, you can see it. And if you have all this prep, you can go, right. And here's, mm -hmm. here's a great example. I had two photographers on my show. And the photography world is the most competitive dying industry that exists right now. It's like the worst, it's the worst business strategy to become a professional photographer. Right <laughs> I, I see that dying as well, but <laughs> yes. no, I digress. <laughs> so uh, with the photographers, so these two photographers were trying to get into an industry and uh, they're trying to, and the episode's not out yet, but it will be out in the next couple of weeks. They're trying to uh, break it and get representation. Right. And everybody thinks that if you get representation, your life changes. If you get right. a manager, you get right. an agent, then suddenly the jobs come in. That's not true. It's not true at all. When you get a manager yes. and an agent, what they do is they manage your current clients. <laughs> That's essentially what they do is they manage what you currently have and they try to get you more money yeah. with and the current ones, but they're not bringing money. you new clients. Um, and yeah. Yeah. Well, right. So like there, yep. there's a good balance. There's good reasons for them, which I can get into later. Yeah. But with these guys, they, were, they thought that they were going to just get a manager, an agent, and suddenly change everything. What they did smartly was they started, they, they did a shoot for Beyonce. So they ended up getting a shoot for Beyonce, right? And she somehow grabbed one of their images. This is the point. She grabbed one of their private images that they had made, and it ha she saw it randomly through like a Google search or something, and had it saved on her desktop background. So when she had a new thing come up, she goes, find whoever this is that did this image that I randomly picked up. So now the opportunity shows up to these guys. And these guys think it's going to change their life. Beyonce shows up. She's like, I want to hire you guys to shoot these photos for me. Okay, great. So they go in, they do this shoot. Turns out the shoot doesn't even get released because it's like a shoot that doesn't get released. It's an internal kind of thing that goes on. Doesn't change anything for them if they follow the rules. If they follow the path, I'm like, now that we shot Beyonce, now I can get anybody that I want because I've done that. These guys are smart. They break away and they decide what they're going to do is they're going to publish their own magazine. Mm -hmm. So they meet someone about magazine publishing. They put together magazines that publish the kind of content that they like. They ask mm -hmm. Beyonce if they can post her images in that magazine. Once they do that, they're able to go to all these other celebrities and say to the celebrities, Beyonce's in this magazine. She's on the cover. Would you like to be in this magazine? Those celebs then go, yeah, I would love to be in that magazine. And so mm -hmm. then what these guys have done is they've created a marketplace for themselves. Yep. They were incredibly clever about it. They saw the opportunity that they were sitting on these images. Mm -hmm. And how do I make these images work for me? And then they published mm -hmm. a magazine that changed their entire career. Mike, what you just described is how you become a director. Like, and uh, the way I say that is because no one's going to hand you a directing job for the most part. You need to go out and make it. You need to go out and find it. You need to go out and knock those doors down. These guys, that's what they did. They made their own magazine. They made their own opportunities. And then they put themselves in those opportunities. Yep. 
that's what I think you have to do to become a director is really go out and make all of that happen. So then you can hire yourself to make that happen and execute whatever project you just made happen. And so, um, you know, all I, I've been lucky enough to co-direct two features and that was all because I was the producer of those features. I made those producers, those videos happen. And I hired myself as a co-director of those. I, I probably would never have directed a feature if I wasn't the producer of that feature as well. You know, <laughs> so it's like to get these opportunities, especially in the beginning with no experience, no one's going to hand them to you. You got to go out there, not only knock on doors, but you got to create those doors to open yourselves so you can go through it yourself and put yourself into that opportunity to succeed. You know, so, you know, a quick answer of how do you take this step from being a content creator to that long form narrative? That's not a quick answer because it takes many, many years and there's many, many different ways to do it. But what it really comes down to is uh, a insane amount of dedication to really learn this craft, to be on set as much as humanly possible, to meet the people around you so once you get this opportunity, you can hire the people you want for your crew. Because again, this is, this is you, you need a crew. You need people around you that you know, that you want to work with, that you can talk to, that can put together amazing frames to make that project. So you're on set, you're getting experience, you're building your network, you're building your resume, you're learning how it's done by watching other people. And then eventually you're also making your own opportunities. So after doing all of this, once that opportunity comes around, you have that experience, you have that network. You've been watching other people make mistakes for years or doing it right for years. And now you can do it yourself, you know? And all that's good. But the thing that you got to remember is that you got to make something that's good. <laughs> you got to make, yes. you got to make that, yes. you got to make that image that ends up on Beyonce's uh, our screensaver or her background. You got to make something that's really good. And I just did an episode with uh, a yes, producer from, from Scott Free, who's producing my movie. And I asked him specifically because a lot of filmmakers are always wondering like, how do you get the eyes of a producer and how do you get your movies seen? And he's incredibly um, honest on the show. And he comes right out and yeah. says like, look, a lot of people make stuff. There's a ton of stuff that's on YouTube. There's a ton of stuff that exists out there. A lot of it is shit. A lot mm -hmm. of it is terrible. And a lot mm -hmm. of it is, is terrible. And the filmmaker knows it's terrible. And mm -hmm. so the move is to continue to make things. Like if you decide that you're going to be a director and you want to make stuff, start making stuff. And, mm -hmm. and even if you don't release it, make stuff, make stuff, mm -hmm. watch it, show it to your friends, show it to strangers, sit yeah. in a room with strangers, watch it with those strangers, like actually make these things and then get to a point where you know that it's good. And when yeah. it's good, then you go out with it. When it's something that you can sit in a room across from Michael Bay's producers and have them asking you questions on how you pulled this thing off and you sit there and you go, I know it's good. And you can stand behind that. That's when someone's going to back you. That's when someone's going yeah. to ask what your next project is. That is when someone's going to do this stuff. A lot of people, uh, look, it's exciting when you make a video. It's exciting when you learn a new technique. Every time I do a video, uh, it isn't to make a, a great project. Sometimes I'm like, I just want to fuck around with this uh, sound technique that I have. And I'm just going to do this little mm -hmm. thing that no one's really going to fucking see because I'm going to try to figure this out. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of people get overexcited where they're like, I cut this thing together. I'm going to put it online. It's going to go to Sundance. And you're like, 
No, it's not. It's not. Yeah. It's not. You, yeah. you learned how to cut well here and you learned mm -hmm. how to light well here. Fuck yeah. Put that in your arsenal and then make the next thing. Yeah. And I, th yeah. I think it's just about being realistic about your content, you know? Yeah. You know, um, a lot of the content creators that we interview on our show, they, they've created around a hundred videos until they start to be like, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. I, I got a name for myself. I can really start to call the shots. I can make those next moves, but took them a hundred videos, you know, to like start to feel like that of like, I've made so many mistakes along the way from whether it's just the business side to lighting to camera, whatever. But at, at that hundred video market that, you know, the music videos, commercials, that's when they started. And I bring this up because to your point, it's repetition. It, it's, it's just doing it a lot, just creating a lot, just getting out there and learning from all the mistakes. And hopefully you just make all those mistakes so you just don't do them again, you know? Dude. Yeah, it's it's 100%. Sorry to interrupt you, brother. Um, no, go for it. Yeah, I mean, here's here's what's going on with me this week. Um, I'm in the process of trying to prep a movie and I just picked up this book and I started reading this book on directing and through the, and I'm not reading it, I'm actually listening to it on Audible. But listening to this book on directing, uh, chapter one, the woman comes out and literally lists off everything that I do, and she says, this is wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'm literally listening to this book going, fuck. So the, the, there's so many things that I have been doing wrong. Um, and that's the thing about this business, is that this business is constantly teaching you something. And even yeah. though I've got 20 years of experience, even though I've been able to convince all these people to do stuff, I'm now learning this week, my brain has been blown open. Like the front of my face has been blown open. And I'm sitting here going like feverishly making notes and feverishly trying to remember these t techniques because as directors, we don't get to practice, which is annoying. Yeah. So just trying to figure this stuff out because I just didn't know. Yeah. What's the book called? Um, I, it's called, uh, directing for actors and I can get the information, okay. but it's a book that's been around for a long time. And, uh, I saw that someone was reading this book and then I fell into this book and it's, it, it's really, it's really important for me right now because I'm in the process of breaking down a script and doing all this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I was just realizing that a lot of the techniques that I used to break down like a music video idea, or a lot of the tricks that I used to break down a commercial, uh, aren't what I should be doing for feature. And it, yeah. it really sort of circles around how do I get great textured performances out of my talent as opposed to like, I'm sure you guys know when you're working with talent on commercials, you're essentially like shopping for couches. Smile. Yeah. Yeah. Do it very intense. You know, when you have like all these directions oh, that you're yeah. giving. My kid can stand in front of the camera. Yeah. Hire him. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's wrong. It's wrong. And so yeah. uh, th that's been my week. And like I said, I've been doing this for 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, so you're, you're never going to be fully prepared. That's what makes this job really exciting. But at the same token, you also have to be humble enough to sit there and go like, I still got shit to learn. Like I, I yeah. got a lot to figure out here, man. Yeah. 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 I, I think to, to what we were talking about earlier, you know, I think at the end of the day, you know, it's, I mean, as you mentioned, you're never going to be fully, fully prepared. So you have to kind of be willing to, to take that, that next step and, and believe that, you know, you're going to, you're going to catch your feet underneath you. But um, I think part of it is just at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's preparation meets opportunity. 
Mm -hmm. Right. You know, so I think that's kind of when you'll you'll have that moment and be able to to have that light switch that says, okay, I could I could flip this this way or I could rework this this way to make a retainer client or whatever have you. Um, But I think a big part of it, too, is is, again, you know, really making sure that you're investing your time in, in the right direction. So, again, using like a feature film director, you know, as as your goal, you know, I think. One of one of the great things my, uh, one of my mentors, you know, talked to me about um, when I, you know, told him of my ambitions of, of doing that. He talked about, you know, well, w- you know, how often are you making a short film? And that's one of the things I've really, really lacked at. Um, yeah. You know, to to your what you were talking about earlier in the episode, yeah. Mike is, you know, I was making a, I've been making a ton of music videos and commercials, but I mean, I recently made a, a short film for a short film contest I'm I'm hosting, mm-hmm. but nonetheless, you know. Uh, aside from that, I probably hadn't made a short film in eight months. Yeah, yeah. And I want to be a, a a feature film director. Who's yeah. going to hire me? I don't. I don't have. <laughs> I, I. You know. What I mean. I need a an archive of hundreds of videos to showcase my narrative abilities. No one's going to mm-hmm. hire me if I've done two hundred music videos. They can be great, but that doesn't showcase that I can That's be a great director yep. for a feature film. It's a com- completely different thing. So I think it's yeah. it's really investing yourself again in in that in the area, in the direction that you actually want to go, right? And and that's why it's so important to have that direction, you know, so you can take that step of getting there, you know, and, um, you know, money's a real thing. You need to be able to make money. Uh, Hopefully you're able to save up five to six months of rent so you can start to get into a position of being able to say no to these projects. (laughs) Once you're in that position, then you can start to work on your own project, your spec project, your short films, things that will you will be able to add to your portfolio that will support the direction that you want to go, you know, 100%, and, and keep yeah. working in that direction, whatever it is, whether it's content creation, music videos, long form, whatever, but it kind of starts there. And that's where the learning start. And then you start to gravitate to your own network of people, what you like to do, the stories you like to tell, and it, it takes a life of its own, but it's really healthy to check in every once in a while to make sure that this 100%. is still the direction that you want to go. Dude, completely. And then, you know, this is, this is all like the mind blowing shit. I've been in the rooms with larger producers and production companies. They don't give a shit that you've done music videos. Like, and I've yeah. done music videos for huge acts. They don't care. Like they mm-hmm. just don't care. So like, if you want to be a feature film director, the only reason to do music videos is to learn how to edit is to learn how to direct performances. It's to learn how to deal with the crew and maybe, money. maybe start to design some of your vibe. Maybe. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. no one gives a shit about that. So like if you're if you get beyond that, if you feel like music videos have hit that cap for you where you've you've done everything that you can learn from on your own because they're essentially just little avenues where you can stack your toolbox, then get out mm-hmm. of them. Like get out of those mm-hmm. quickly and then Get into, here's a controversial statement, and this is something that most YouTubers uh, don't consider. Feature films and movies are the management of personalities, of relationships. That's what they are. So when you're working on a larger project, you're managing personalities. You're managing Mm -hmm. crew personalities, you're managing all that. And then when you're shooting movies, Movies aren't a collection of great shots. Movies are a collection of actor 
conversations, actor relationships on screen that you need to create from scratch with actors. Mm -hmm. And the Mm -hmm. thing that I've been learning this week, which is blowing my face off, is that we, (laughs) as directors and DPs, we always have to have the answer. And so you feel insecure if you don't have that prep, if you don't have that answer. And if someone comes to you with a question and they ask you that question, if you don't have that answer, you feel like kind of a douchebag. You feel like someone that doesn't, hasn't done their homework, right? Yeah. I have been learning now that especially with actors, it isn't about having the answers. It's about asking questions. It's about Mm -hmm. literally having lists of questions for everything that's in the script. And I may have theories on what those things are, but I can't go to an actor and say, this is what happens. Because Mm -hmm. then that actor is just going to be taking my idea and trying to cram it in their face and then put Mm -hmm. it back out. As opposed to- You can't tell someone how to act. Exactly. (laughs) So this is something that you you can't watch on YouTube. This isn't something Mm -hmm. that- you can you can't that you can download. Luckily, I read this book or listened to this book, which sort of changed my mentality on it. But now I'm in the mode of like, shit. I'm going to get a bunch of my actor pals together and once a week do um, just rehearsals. Yeah, for, for, just like rating and just to like for nothing break some stuff down. Yeah, yeah. for nothing. Just, Not even recorded, probably just to have those interactions, just to work with those people through these emotions, just to see how my questions work, just to mm-hmm. see how these things happen, because then. If you can learn these skills, then suddenly you're a director. And this is the mm-hmm. thing that uh, blew my mind where before I thought that just directing was like, hey, I got to have a good, strong sense of visuals. I got to have a good sense of style. I got to know how to tell a story with a camera. I need to do all these things. And then I'll just hire the actors that know what they need to do. And then we'll work together and try to make it happen. That's not directing. That's essentially like overglorified DPing, mm-hmm. which, mm-hmm. which now like understanding that they're it is such a larger scale of communication and psychology that is directing. I'm like, shit, I'm way behind. <laughs> so like, yeah. so like you're trying to figure it out as, as fast as you can. So like if yeah. I guess the point of this rant is that if you have decided that you want to be a director, why do you want to be a director? Do you want to be a director because you want to be in the edit room and you want to put together scenes and have those scenes look really great? Are you sure you don't want to be an editor? Are, mm-hmm. are you a director because you just want to cut together or figure out how to tell a story with cameras and camera movements and stuff like that? Are you sure you just don't want to be a DP? Mm-hmm. Like if you want to do all those things and then you're also interested in actors, because I don't know if you guys, if you feel the same way, Kyle, what's your relationship with actors? I mean, for me, I think that's, that's, that's actually, that's my favorite part. Um, for me, I'm, I'm really passionate. Like for instance, the last short film I, I directed and was the lead actor in actually. So right. for me, I, that's my favorite part, but I, I've, it's, it's funny because my struggle for DPing really has come as my career has gone on and I've gotten better at, at that art form as I've fallen more in love with the technical side of it, the, the composition and the impact and influence just changing color can be or altering the the temperature uh, of the white balance in a scene just different things like that so that's kind of where where my struggle came from but yeah i mean for me my my real passion lies in in working with the actors and trying to to really put them in in the world in, in the mindset of of who that character is in that that moment and in that mm-hmm. space to to really be there and yeah. express that experience did you come from acting were you an actor initially 
Uh, I would, I wouldn't say so. No, I mean, I, I, I mean, really it always, for me, it, I, I grew up as a kid, you know, when I was 13, I started making videos with my friends. So we were all the, the actors slash the, the directors and camera operators. And, and for yeah. me, that's, that's really where it all started. Yeah. But don't yeah. belittle that man, the, your time in front of that camera, your time in front of that stuff has, has given you that insight, has given you that empathy for anybody else that has to stand in front of that camera. Cause I came from a technical side initially as being a photographer and doing all that stuff. So mm-hmm. I had to learn that empathy. And I, I think being on a podcast and like speaking all the time and hearing your voice recorded all the time, it really starts to change your perception of like how much fucking work it takes to be comfortable in front of the camera. You know what yeah. I mean? It's, it, it's really interesting. It's funny because I come from the business side of it all. Like that's, that's what gets me going and just bringing these stories to life you know, from having the script to actually making it happen, you know? And so there's, there's so many different aspects of this business, so many different levels, so many different career paths. And I think to kind of put a ribbon on this, it's, it's, it's up to you, the listener to decide what's best for you, what's best for your family or where you want to go in life and, and what's going to fuel your inner desire and passion, because it's going to take so many long nights and weeks and months and years to get where you need to go. And you need to make sure that you have that drive in you and that you have that passion in you to, um, to make it happen. Otherwise you'll, you'll burn out and it just won't happen and it won't work. And that's fine. You know, it's, it's, it's okay to fail, but it's just, you need that kind of thing in you to keep you going in this sort of career. So it's so important in the beginning that you figure out what you just love to do and you just really hammer that in for a couple of years and more. hundred percent. Well, dude, and to even button that up even more, each of these tasks, each of these jobs requires a hell of a lot from you. There's a reason why in the professional level at the top end of it, there are guys that just specifically do each of these tasks. Like yeah. the three of us could probably run a small production and put our hands on everything. Like I, I'm yeah. sure you guys know. And, um, and make it, yeah, and make and, it happen. And, and it'd be great. But it's also, it's also never going to be Avatar. But but I don't know if you guys feel the same way where like when you're doing the smaller things, you never have the opportunity to really dial it in. Oh, yeah. You you can never make that lighting like super clean and creamy. You you can never really dial it in because you're always overextended on on these different avenues of it. 100%. And when when we hold our standards to the stuff that we all – consume radically these days, whereas whether it's like Avengers movies or whether it's uh, anything on Netflix right now, we want that thing. But we have to remember that it's only that good because there are specific people that that's what they fucking do every day, all mm-hmm. the time. It's pulling focus all mm-hmm. the time. There, there mm-hmm. are DPs. I just talked to um, the DP from... Um, from Justice League yesterday on the show. And uh, his focus puller has been with him for 10 years because wow. he's that good. And so mm-hmm. you have to remember that as we learn this stuff and you're kicking it around as a bunch of friends like, trying to learn this stuff, it's great. But what if you, if you pinpoint what you want, learn, as, learn everything about that and get goddamn good at it. Because then if you mm-hmm. are that good at it, then maybe you can stand in line with another thousand people that are that good and maybe they'll let you in the club. 
Yeah. And that's exactly why we, <laughs> we say pick a niche, oh, you yeah. know, and just be known for that niche. Be known for that one thing and do it really well. That's your direction. Um, gentlemen, is there any last words that we want to say before we wrap things up here? Uh, I just want to make sure I feel like we 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 did a great job of shedding light on some of the darker sides of directing <laughs> and in other areas. But I, I do want to end on a lighter note and say that, you know, at the end of the day, I think we all truly we, we love it all. And I think in, in a sense, we also love that that struggle. And I think there's there's a lot of incredible and extremely rewarding aspects of, of this career. So I just want to make sure everyone stays stays positive here um you know it's it's not the end of the world we all love this we do it for a reason so mm-hmm. um just i think one of the big points for our for our messaging here for you guys is to make sure you really sit down have that that honest conversation with yourself and then with you know your closest friends and family of you know this is this is what i really want this is what i'm going after and this is what it's going to take you know are, are you with me or or what mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I, I love that <laughs> it's, it makes me laugh because this, i i tend to do this on shows where um you know people are like wow that got really dark look the job is great like the job is addictive when you when you make something and it is created in front of you out of, out of nothing it is created from like the blood, sweat, and tears of the people that are around you. If you write down something stupid on a piece of paper, like a like a like a half-assed joke, by the time six months later, uh, that thing becomes something that is being screened in front of an audience, and you're just like, I can't believe how it got here. It's magical. Mm-hmm. This business mm-hmm. is magical. Um, mm-hmm. I tend to be more of a realist and so at the end of the day it's magical but it is also the the worst nightmare (laughs) that you'll ever put yourself through and understand that you have to decide whether or not it's worth it i fucking think it is i think it's the coolest thing in the world to do um but also one thousand percent but also (laughs) understand that like everybody doesn't get uh, a trophy for this this isn't this isn't a thing so like if you want this be specific be so specific about what it is that you want to do and really fucking learn it and dial it in don't be afraid of it and if you can do that people are gonna like go hey man that's kyle and he makes these movies and it's gonna end up on a criterion collection because you were so specific about Mm -hmm. that you know hell yeah love it love it Mike, where can our listeners uh, listen to you more? Uh, so the podcast that I do uh, is called In Love With The Process, um, and it is on Spotify, and it's on any of the podcast delivery services. If you go to inlovewiththeprocess.com, uh, there I've curated the episodes based upon subject material because I've, de- <laughs> I've decided to make my life more difficult, and I, my show isn't just a filmmaking show. My show is essentially access to the crazy world that I get access to as a filmmaker. And as we push out of COVID, um, I'm in theory going to be starting production on my first feature with a big Hollywood production company. And so what I want to do with the show is have it be access for listeners. Like this is what it's like. And this, mm-hmm. these are all the steps. And if you, Hell yeah. if you can't tell That's by awesome, my man. tone, <laughs> I'm very honest about shit. And I get guests yeah. on the show and we get really honest. So we get beyond the, the Instagram filters and we get into like, mm. oh, okay. <laughs> this, is, this is what sucks about it. And this is what's great about it. 
strap yourselves in, you know? Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, Kyle, how about our show? Well, you guys can tune in to us at <laughs> Learn Videography. Uh, we are one of the top podcasts for videography. Um, so definitely check us out. We're on all the listening platforms as well. Um, you can also find us on Instagram at Learn Videography. All right. There it is. Good conversation, right? Both those guys are good dudes. Their hearts are in the right place. It's always interesting when I sit down and I talk to younger filmmakers because I feel like I'm pretty harsh with the truths that I give. And when I give harsh truths, they're not necessarily what is going to happen to you or happen to them, but it's just what I went through. And when I went through it, oftentimes I'm like, man, if someone fucking told me about this shit, I would it would have saved me so much time and energy. It would have saved me so much stress and so much anxiety. And so when you hear me on this show get incredibly passionate about stuff, and when you hear me like drill something home, uh, it's just because I'm I'm talking to that kid in me from the past that was like, for, for the love of Christ, if only somebody had told me that I didn't have to deal with this, then my life would have been so much smoother and I would have progressed so much faster. And with this show, when we do episodes like this on the show, that's essentially what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to give back. I'm trying to, to be that person that I wish I had when I was coming up. And so take all of my advice with a grain of salt and understand that uh, this business is constantly shifting. Uh, it's like trying to build a house on a fucking iceberg. Um, and so shit that works for me, shit that works for the guys that I look up to worked for them at that moment in time, at that specific moment in time. It doesn't necessarily mean that you should do what I'm saying to do. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you should follow the path of a director that you have always looked up to because that path may no longer exist. Just put your head down, do the work, and just stick with it. That's the only true uh, advice that I can give that I know that you can rely on. It's just stay with it. Be aware. Train your shit so that when the situation comes and you get to step up, you're ready. That's it. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. Thank you for watching the show. Um, and uh, as always, please follow us on uh, Spotify. Follow us on Apple Podcasts. Do me a favor and leave a review. Write a comment under this episode. Let me know what you thought of the show. Um, and... Uh, Tell me if you guys want, if there's specific guests that you want me to hunt down, because um, I'll do so. And uh, I think that's it, man. I'm going to let you guys go. And as always, I will see you next Tuesday. <laughs>